This special Answers for Elders podcast honoring military veterans is sponsored by Carriage. For more information about Carriage, the website is C-A-R-E-A-G-E dot com. Well, this is Chuck Olmstead with Answers for Elders Radio. I'm here in DuPont, Washington at Patriots Landing. And uh, our guest today on this podcast is Bob Winkler. And uh, Bob, welcome to Answers for Elders Radio. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you and I just had a chance to chat a little bit. Huge Mariners fan. Huge Seahawks fan. Seahawks, for sure. Oh, you bet. You bet. And uh, so you've been down here at Patriots Landing for how long now? Next June will be two years. Two years. Two years. Oh, very good. Well, we always like to interview the the uh, veterans that are a part of Patriots Landing and uh, like to hear a little bit about their their life and their story and uh and uh, when you and I met um you mentioned to me at the moment you're 89 years old and you look like 20 years younger <laughs> so congratulations about that thank you you've got uh, good health and strength so born in 19 1929 29 5 August 1929 Okay, and so you were probably a, too young to remember a lot of the Depression, but probably remember some of it. Well, I do, actually, because my mother, I remember my mother used to uh, clean wallpaper for this doctor for a dollar a day, and I used to go door-to-door selling candy bars for five cents each, and I made a penny a candy bar. And then on Saturday night, I would down there, regardless of the weather, I'd be down there selling newspapers. So, uh, and, and another thing I did was, uh, we were a very poor family. There was eight children in our family. And another thing I did, we had a wheelbarrow and I'd go around and haul garbage up to the dump for people for 25 cents, wow. load up the garbage and put a tarpaulin over it, tie it down and push it up and down hills and take it to the dump. And they'd pay me 25 cents for that. So, so you, uh, obviously you, you remember all of that. So that was in the mid, probably mid thirties. How old were you? I was, uh, well, when this all happened, I was about 14, 14. So yeah, it was about 1943. Yeah. 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 Well, cleaning wallpaper. Uh, that's interesting because as a young man, I used to do that with my dad as well. Most people don't even know what that's like to clean yeah. wallpaper. Was stuff like Play-Doh. Exactly. Yeah. It was, it yeah. came in a, came in a, can with a lid on it and it, you you needed it like play-doh right. and then you would actually wipe it across yep. the wallpaper and then re-knead it yep. when, when it started getting and eventually yep. it would get so dirty in there that you had to get rid of it yeah but uh many 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 <laughs> times i'd cleaned wallpaper with my with my dad yeah so your mom did that yep my mother did that yeah so where was this you said pennsylvania in pennsylvania beaver falls pennsylvania uh-huh where yeah. joe name with the football players from Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So so you were um, a young man then during World War II. Yes. Yeah. So you're not old enough to be in the uh, in the military uh, during, during no. World War II. No, I went in in 1946. So right after the war. Right. It was still the war. The Second World War wasn't declared over officially until 31 December 46. So uh, I got a World War II victory medal because I went in in 1946 before the war was declared over. Even though it was over in 45, they didn't declare it officially over until 31 December 46. Why was, why was that? Was it? I don't know. They, they, I've never been, been able to figure that out because uh, it was actually over in 1945. In fact, that my older brother, well, he was 25 at the time. I had a brother that was a navigator on the C-47, and he was killed in a plane crash 17 June 1945. 
in Baguio, Luzon. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, so Luzon. So, um, so I wonder which theater that they. I guess the question would be remained open. Would would because well they were both open at the same time. The European Theater and the Pacific Theater. We were fighting if the war in both two areas. Right at the same time. So did they consider those still both war zones until the yes. end of forty yeah. six? Yeah. Interesting. I would imagine then that affected like for you. Your your pay and how they viewed your you you received some sort of rewards because mm-hmm. you were still considered in combat during yeah. the, during that time. Strange thing, whenever whenever the uh, my brother was going overseas, he got on a Greyhound bus and he uh, going from Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania to Pittsburgh, and he told the driver just a minute. He got off the bus, he kissed me on the cheek, and he said, "You'll never see me alive again." That was in February of forty five, and the seventeenth of June forty five, he was killed in a plane crash. Interesting. Yeah. So it's June of forty five. So and uh so he was in the European theater, correct? Yes. No. So it so it wasn't combat related necessarily. No, it was combat related. They were shot down by the no, he was in the Pacific. He, he was, was in Pacific. They, yeah, they were shot down by the Japanese. I see. Yes, because yeah. that really didn't end until August of forty yeah. five yeah. uh, when they dropped the yeah. the bombs. So what uh, motivated, you to, motivated you to join the service? His death. Whenever he was killed, I was sitting on the front porch when the Western Union, they used to ride up in bicycles. And when he, drove, when he rode up with the bicycle, I was sitting on the front porch of our house, and I knew right away what it was. And he handed me the telegram, and I didn't want to open it, so I gave it to my mother. She opened it and screamed and collapsed. And I read the telegram where he was killed. And I said, that's it. So I... I was uh, jun- I just completed my junior year of high school, and I uh, I was an honor student, quite frankly. And so I told my dad, I said, I'm going to join the military. So you're going to finish high school. I said, I got enough credits. He says, no, you don't. You're going to finish high school. And uh, he used to beat me with a razor strap every day. He says, on the butt. You know, he says, you're gonna, not going to join the military. I want you to graduate from high school. So in October 46, my mother says, you might as well let him join. So he signed the papers, and I joined the military, and that's how I went in the military in October 1946. Interesting. So you actually joined the Air Force. Air Force, yes, sir. So the Air Force came into being what? what in 1947, time? actually. Because yeah. when, I, when it was called the Army Air Corps. That's right. Then it became the Air Force in mm-hmm. 1947. Interesting. Yeah. So what did you when you uh when you joined, of course the war officially was over by then. Or not officially, but the war the actual combat yeah. activities. So uh what was your assignment? Well actually I was in administration and I remember <laughs> it was rather funny. I we got in a troop ship and we went across the Atlantic Ocean in a troop ship to England. And uh I still remember that's when the British had those big big five pound notes, you know. And when we landed, I uh, I went up and I had a five-pound note and I gave it this lady. And I said, I want some tea and crumpets, you know, because that's the custom. <laughs> and uh, so she gave him a change. To this day, I tell my daughter the other day, I said, I don't know if I ever got the right change or not. Because <laughs> it was a big five-pound British note, you know, and I handed it to her and she gave me some change back. And whether or not I got the right change, I don't know. Yeah. But I wanted to I wanted to have tea and crumpets like the British. Sure, sure. It was funny. So did you then stay in England? Yes, I stayed in England and uh, stayed there for a while. Then I went to Germany, and uh, that was in 1953. 
and I stayed in Germany then from 1912. From, I was in Germany from 1950 to 1996, 46 years in Germany. In fact, by four, I got married in Germany to American. She was retired Air Force, and my four daughters were all born in Germany. They all went to American schools over there. And when you went to American schools over there, uh, I had a choice, either send them to the German schools for free or send them to American schools and pay. And the tuition was $6,000 a year. And uh, that was that was expensive with yeah, four daughters. No kidding. Yeah. No kidding. So after you uh, left the service in 53, what did you do uh, in Germany? I then? sold life insurance to the military. Interesting. Yeah, sold life insurance. They had they had four hundred thousand dollars worth of life insurance. You know, it was a hundred thousand. Then the government raised it to four hundred thousand, and I was selling life insurance. And they said, "Well, I got four hundred thousand. I said, "Yes, but the day you get out, whether it's by retirement or just discharge, you have no insurance." Oh, I didn't know that. So for forty some odd years, I sold life insurance. So that was very successful. That actually interesting. Yeah, but yeah. I sold life insurance to the military. Were you? Uh, 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 were you in one particular city or near a certain... Uh, well, yeah, I was in Spain, Delum, Germany. That was about an hour's drive from Ramstein, Germany. So I was living in living in a place called Spain, Delum, Germany, which is in the Eiffel Mountains. Interesting. Yeah. And were you there that entire time? The whole time. Wow. Yeah. So how do you think, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure you saw an incredible transformation in the military over from the time you served oh, in the Lord, late yes. in the late and in, in the early 50s for another 40 some years yeah. what kind of things did you see change in the military well <laughs> that's a tough question uh i would say the germ the generals we didn't have the eisenhowers and <clears throat> the eisenhowers and the macarthurs and some of the generals left some things to be desired as far as i was concerned and 1949, I was in E5, and I got called in, and they offered me a warrant officer commission. And I, was, I told them before, I said, to this day, I don't know why I turned it down. I turned it down. I didn't, I didn't accept it. And uh, so then I could have been a warrant officer in the, you know, in the Air Force. And my roommate, Stuart M. Norman, I still remember him, he, uh, he accepted it, and he retired with 30 years, and he was what they call a W05, which is the top rank. So I've always said God, God, everything's God-driven, right. and I've always believed that, and I still do. And I says every decision I've ever made had to be God-driven because had I, had, I not, had I not done what I did, I wouldn't have met my wife over there, and I wouldn't have my four daughters. Right. So, you know, it just, I just let nature take its course, and what happens, happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things, and and some of my other interviews with other veterans, um, uh, the in the seventies, uh, late sixties, early seventies, the military went through a lot of social change, just oh, like Lord, the rest yes. of the uh, of the country, and especially when it came to racial relationships. Yes. And uh, talked to several um, veterans who said, especially in Germany, there was. Um, there began to be this change with the military as far as race relations were concerned, uh, and and how it was dealt with, and mm-hmm. how how uh, the officers began to kind of change their their thinking about mm-hmm. it. Did you see that as well? Well, yes. Yeah, it's, it's funny you should ask that question because uh, there was thirteen of us E fives, and well, I was an E six, and there was thirteen E fives I was in charge of. 
And uh, the colonel I worked for, I still remember his name, Colonel Templeman. He was General LeMay's fair-haired boy. And he uh, called me in the office one day, and he says, I want you to appoint your replacement should you have to be out of the area. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you've got 13 staff sergeants. Pick one of them to replace you in command if you're out of the area. I was okay, so I went out, and I chose, uh, I still remember his name, Charles M. Russell. He was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He was an African-American. So I told the other guys, I said, well, in my absence, Sergeant Russell's in charge. And this one guy, still remembers, I can't remember his name. I think it was Lewis. He got up and he says, I won't work for an African-American. As you said, what? He said, I won't work for an African-American. I said, well, that's a direct order. I'm giving you a direct order to work for him. He said, I won't do it. I said, well, then consider yourself busted. And in those days, you could reduce a person's rank just by word if you were his supervisor. So I remember I called a master sergeant, Bob White, who worked in personnel. And I said, Sergeant White, cut the orders. Sergeant Curtin, John P. Curtin, is now reduced from staff sergeant to airman, uh, to airman first class. And that's why you did things in those days. Interesting. Yeah. If they didn't, if they didn't obey a direct order, you had the authority to bust them right on the spot. Yeah. That's not the way anymore. Now it's all strictly by court martials and all that. Right, right. So what was the response when you did that amongst uh, some of the other uh, Well, peers? the other people, the other NCOs accepted it. It was just this one guy. Yeah. He says, I will not work for an African-American. Yeah. I said, you, you, don't, you don't understand. That's a direct order. You will work for him if I tell you. Right. He says, I won't do it. So we busted him right on the spot. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, were there, uh, as far as um, even like uh, with families and and kind of communications with families, I'm sure that you saw a change with how the military dealt with with families. And of course, there were a lot more people that came over to Germany. Oh yes, you know, with their with their spouses mm-hmm. to serve. Uh, what kinds of things did you see on that side of things? Well, there wasn't any problems really. I mean, everybody uh, they. They all work together as far as that's concerned. You know, we didn't have any problem in that area at all. Every, uh-huh. You know, we all got along well as far as that's concerned and celebrated holidays together and everything. There was just, there's always, in every crowd, what do they say? There's always one bad apple. There's right. always one bad apple. And like I said, we had that one individual that we had problems with, but we took care of it. Yeah. So what would you say was one of the bigger lessons that you learned by serving in the military? Uh, comrade, comradeship. Hmm. comradeship how to get along with people uh-huh certainly people uh, that were different than you that oh, you were serving Lord, with yes yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 and uh it's interesting to me that you continued to really serve the military for another 40 some years but with uh, selling insurance because yeah. that certainly was a service to their uh, to to those families oh yeah and uh it, it was a lot of fun because like i said they had four hundred thousand dollars worth of insurance there was, you know, by the government, if they were killed, their next of kin got four hundred thousand dollars, and it was tax free. But that uh, once they got out of the military, they didn't have any insurance. So uh, I, I was very successful at it. I went up, you know, and they say, "Well, I got four hundred thousand dollars." I says, "Until you get out, then you have not." Well, I didn't know that. I said, "Well, now you know it." So I was able to uh, successfully sell insurance, and I did it for forty some odd years, yeah. very successfully. And I've got four daughters, and I was. Uh, I spent Christmas with my youngest daughter uh, out in Lacey. She's in the real estate business. And I was kidding her yesterday. I said, you know, you got your salesmanship from your dad. From your dad. <laughs> she started laughing because she's a tremendous real estate agent. Yeah. Very, very good real estate agent. 
But tell me about the transition, uh, because your four daughters grew up in Germany. Uh, are they all here in the U.S. or are there? Yeah, are... they're all. Well, no, one's in Hawaii. My oldest daughter is in Hawaii. And then I've got one in North Carolina. Uh-huh. She's married. The one in Hawaii is not married. I got one in North Carolina that's married. He's a major in the Air Force and uh, one well, the, uh, the the ROTC now. Mm-hmm. And then I've got another daughter that's uh, in Maryland. Mm-hmm. Her husband's very very successful. He works for a company called JLL Real Estate Company worldwide. And then my youngest daughter, of course, is out here in Lacey, and her husband's uh, retired Army E8. He turned down Sergeant Major to get out because they were going to send him to Fort Bragg, North Carolina. So he. He got out of the Army, retired, mm-hmm. and he's now uh, tr- has a tremendous job out at McCord working for Boeing. He's the manager for Boeing out at McCord. And that was rather funny because there's a, an individual by the name of Steve. There's three of them in the office. There's a female E-9 Air Force type. She's really a sweetheart, according to my son-in-law. And then there's another guy by the name of Steve that was a loadmaster. And uh, when they come up to... Uh, when it come up to get this job for Boeing, you had to have supply experience. Well, my son-in-law was in supply, the supply career field, his whole military career. And the other guy was a loadmaster, Steve, and he thought he should get the job. <laughs> you know, they didn't want a loadmaster. They wanted a guy with supplies. So uh, he's, he's working. He's the manager out there at McCord Air Force Base for Boeing, doing very, yeah. very well. Yeah. So how did your daughters deal with having grown up in Germany Coming to the U.S., was that a big transition? It wasn't really, they, because, like I said, they went to school over there. They, went, they graduated from high school at Ramstein, Germany. You know, they, they went to the American schools. And uh, they, they come back, to, when we come back to the States, they just moved, moved right in with everything, you know. Yeah. And ex- everything was accepted, you know. Yeah. There's no problem. So what made you uh, choose uh, Patriots Landing? I was living in Maryland uh, with one of my daughters, and I didn't particularly get along with her husband. That's another story. <laughs> he was okay, but I, we just didn't hit it off him. So uh, my four daughters, I got four daughters, like I said, and they said, well, we got to do something with Dad. And they said, Dad, what do you want to do? I says, I don't want to live with any of you. I says, I want to live in a retirement home. So they looked at a retirement home in North Carolina, and I was with them, and I didn't like it. I said, no, 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 I don't want this. So... Where would you like to live? I said, I'd like to live in Washington. I love Washington. So they brought me out here, and there's a total of seven retirement homes in area, in this immediate area. And I've talked to two people that lived in the other six, and then they moved in here, and they said the other six are horrible mm-hmm. compared to this place. So uh, this is how I ended up, ended up here. I said, you know, I, I, when I came out, we were interviewed and all that, and I said, I like this place, yeah. and I do like it. It's a very, very nice retirement home. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is a lovely home, and and I think the, one of the things that I enjoy about it, uh, being here, is, is veterans like yourself. You get to hear some amazing stories of people who have served our country, and uh, I want to thank you for you telling your story and for sharing a little bit uh, about your life and about your time of service here. And uh, we've been talking to... Um, Bob Winkler, he's uh, uh, served uh, in the United States uh, Air Force and uh, as Tech Sergeant E6. And so, Rob, thank you for joining us today on Answers for Elders Radio. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a special Honoring Veterans presentation of Answers for Elders, brought to you by Carriage. For more information about Carriage, the website is careage.com. 
Hey everybody, Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.